3, 1 Corinthians 3, we're going to resume our study of the book of 1 Corinthians. We took a break um, the last couple times I've had the privilege to speak. We, we have not been in 1 Corinthians um, with everything going on with vacation Bible school to mission trips, and I didn't feel like I was ready to dive into another uh, brand new message in 1 Corinthians, and so I took it some time just to study it out more before uh, I brought to you a message. And, um, and hopefully that's okay. Hopefully I don't have to catch you up too much on what's been going on in the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, the church at Corinth uh, was a very complex church. Uh, they were in the middle of one of the most wicked cities on the planet at the time. Uh, to be called a Corinthian was not a good thing. Um, it meant you were a wicked, a vile, an immoral person an ungodly person. They did have some religion, but it was not a good religion. Um, they worshipped all sorts of things in the city of Corinth. We won't dive into that. And God, through His grace and through His mercy, placed the church there in Corinth through uh, the Apostle Paul and his missionary journeys. And, and, uh, and many got saved and were added to that church and were serving the Lord, but they, even within the church, had a lot of issues. And one of the main reasons they had issues was because of the carnality that those Christians uh, dealt with on a daily basis. They, um, they weren't Christians who really walked in the Spirit. Uh, they were saved. They were on their way to heaven, but they were still babes in Christ, Paul says. And, and because of that, it showed in their lifestyle. And Paul writes to this church, and one of the things I love about this book is he, he doesn't write to tell them that God is finished with them. He doesn't write to say, you know what, you've screwed up too many times, you're never going to learn, and God's done with you, I'm done with you, and that's that. He writes to help them, to help them grow, to help them get back in the race that God has called them to run, to help them be a light in one of the darkest cities of the world at that time, and to shine brightly for the cause of Christ. And here in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we'll begin reading in verse number 1, where Paul writes these words under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos but ministers by whom ye believed? Even as the Lord gave to every man, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are our God's building. In all ages since the fall of mankind, it has been a tendency in human hearts to stray away from God. Ever since the earliest days, mankind has struggled with serving and staying true to God. 
If you, in fact, if you were to do a study of human civilizations uh, from the dawn of time till now, what you would find is that every human civilization on the planet worships something. It could be a number of things. It could be the stars. It could be uh, Greek gods that they invented. It could be animals and calves and, and all that nature. But virtually every human civilization that has ever existed on this planet has worshipped something. And, and um, idolatry has been the sin of all nations from the very beginning. Even uh, God's favored people, even the Jews, struggled with this. They, you remember when they were in the wilderness, God, they had seen all the miraculous things that God had done to get them out of bondage, to get them out of slavery, but very quickly they forgot the Lord. Moses goes up on the mountain to meet with the Lord, to talk to him face to face, and God is giving him what we now know as the Ten Commandments and his law, and, and they know that Moses is up there with him, but just in a matter of short time, they go to Aaron and ask him to make them a, a, a god, make them a golden calf out of their earrings and their jewelry, and they begin to worship a false god. And while in America we don't see too much, many people, we, we don't come in contact with very many people in America who bow down to little stone figures, but there is still idolatry in even America today. And even Christians, sad to say, are not immune from it. You see, the, this principle of ignoring God and setting up something between our minds and our creator crops up in every area of our life. Idolatry, by its definition, is when someone or something usurps God and becomes first in our lives, comes our main priority over our creator. And so... It doesn't have to be a, a little stone god that we chiseled. It can be anything that we choose to put above God. It can be our favorite hobby. It can be our job. It can even be our family. Anything that comes before God in your life is an idol. And thou shalt have no other gods before me. It's the first commandment. And in the instance of the church at Corinth, Paul found these believers following and almost worshiping the preacher more than the Savior. In the instance of the church at Corinth, he, he hears uh, through a disturbing letter that there have been divisions and fractions within the church. There were some who said, Paul is the one who founded this church. He, he's the one that founded us. He's the one that started us. And, and we respect Paul above all else. And we are followers of Paul. We are of Paul. And, and there were others who said, you know, you know what? I mean, Paul's okay, but Apollos is, Apollos is better. You know, Paul, Paul preaches way too long. And, and Paul, Paul, he's just so boring. But Apollos, man, Apollos, he's a captivating speaker. He's an eloquent speaker, and when Apollos speaks, man, we just learn so much from Apollos. And, and, and so we're not of Paul. We don't follow Paul. We follow Apollos. We really like him. He, 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 I told the teens the other day, Apollos was, is like Dean Miller or Jim Shetler. He's just that guy that you just really love listening to, and he brings you in. He, he, you don't have a hard time staying awake when Apollos is preaching, and there were some in the church that said, you know what, we really like Apollos, and we follow him. We're, hit, we're behind him. We're on team Apollos. And others 
saying, well, we're, we're of Cephas, we're, we're of Peter, we, we follow him. He walked with the Lord. He was with the Lord on the Mount of Transfiguration. And, and I don't know if the Catholic Church started during this time, but if it did, they would have said, he's the rock upon which the church is built, which we know is a lie. But they would have said that and said, we follow Cephas, we follow Peter. And then there was another group who says, we don't follow any of them because we're, we're brethren, we, we follow Christ. And that sounds good, but they, as you'll see, were not really following Christ. They were just setting themselves above everyone else. And Paul has to write to this church, and he has to warn them against making idols out of preachers, out of servants of God. In verse number 6, he brings the Lord before their minds. And he reminds them if Paul plants in Apollo's water, still it is God that gives the increase. In verse number 7, he says, So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Paul comes in and he writes to this church who he founded, who he started, who he loved, and he says, Hey, hey, wait a minute. What, what are y'all doing? What's going on? What, don't you know we're nothing? I'm nothing. Who's Paul? Who's Apollos? Who are we but ministers by whom you've heard the word? He says, he says in um, verse, number, verse number five, who then is Paul? And who is Apollos but ministers by whom you believe? Paul says, listen, we're just humble ministers of the Lord. We're not special. There's nothing great about us. You, you don't need to follow us. You don't need to make us your God. You don't need to make us your dependency. Follow Christ. Follow Him. He is everything. He is supreme. Now, we, the Bible says we are to know them that labor among us. And we are to esteem them highly in love, sake, or in love for their work's sake. But we are not to make man our dependency. We're not to elevate a preacher or a teacher above the Lord. We are to understand that the ablest ministers, the wisest teachers, the greatest missionaries are nothing but laborers together with God. Laborers on God's farm. We plant, we water, but nothing would grow unless the Lord blessed the harvest unless the Lord works. And we must strive as even a church family to make sure that we put all of our dependency on the Lord and not on man. This church doesn't rise and fall necessarily on Pastor Parrish. Doesn't rise and fall on me or on Bob or, or on our teenagers. Everything rises and falls on the Lord. This is his church. It belongs to him. Say, why does it belong to him? Because he bought us. Paul says in verse number 9 to the church at Corinth, he says, for we are laborers together with God. And then he makes two statements. And the first is this, ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's husbandry. Now, if I had to look up what husbandry meant because I have no idea what it meant. And the definition on Google of husbandry is the care, cultivation, and breeding of crops and or animals. 
And Paul basically is saying here to the church at Corinth, you're God's farm. You're God's tilled ground. You're, you're God's crop that he is cultivating, that he is raising, that one day he will reap a harvest from. And then he says, not only are ye God's husbandry, but ye are God's building. He'll go on later to say in, um, in uh, verse number 16 that we are the temple of God. As believers, the church of God, we are the temple of God. We belong to God. In, in, over and over and over again through chapter number 3 and really throughout this book, Paul emphasizes to the church at Corinth that ye are not your own. That you are bought with a price. That you and I, we are not free agents, so to speak. We belong to the Lord. And we belong to him because he has purchased us with his blood. If you would, look at what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 18, Peter once again is writing under inspiration of the Holy Ghost and he reminds the believers that he's writing to of how they came to be redeemed. And he says in verse 18 of chapter number 1 of 1 Peter, he says, For as much as ye know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversations received by, the, by traditions from your fathers, but, verse 19 says, with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot. In the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 20 and verse number 28, the Bible says this, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost had made, made you overseers to feed the church of God. Amen. Didn't say feed the church of the apostles. Didn't say feed the church of Paul or of Peter or of Apollos or of Jacob Haney. He said feed the church of God, right. which he has purchased with his own blood. So I want to remind you tonight that we belong to the Lord. Amen. We're not our own. We are bought with a price. Therefore, we must glorify God in our body and in our spirit, which are God's. First, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 is where Paul really hammers this home, and we'll get there one day. But we are to spend every day of our existence glorifying our Savior. And because we belong to him, I also want to remind you tonight that that means we must do things God's way. We must do things God's way. The church is his, and therefore he gets to decide how it runs. He gets to decide what we believe. He gets to decide what we teach. He gets to decide everything about his church because it is his. We, we can't just do whatever we want to do. We can't just make it up as we go. God has given us certain criteria in his word on how he wants things done and how he wants things approached and what he wants us to do. And, and I'm going to be honest with you, I don't always understand all of God's standards and criteria. They don't always make sense to me, humanly speaking. I've said this before a few months ago, but one example of, of a criteria that in my earthly mind doesn't really make a lot of sense to me is the criteria that a man has to be a pastor. Because to be honest with you, in an earthly speaking way, 
I know for a fact there are some women who probably could do a better job at preaching the word of God and loving people than there are men in, in some pulpits. But God has given us his standard. And one of the standards, one of the qualifications of a pastor is that he must be a man. And he must be the husband of one wife. And in other things as well, but we're just hit on that. And so it doesn't really matter what I think. It doesn't really matter what you think or what you want or, 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 or how you feel about it. All that matters is this is what God says and this is his church. And so whether you like it or not, it is to be done that way. He's bought us. He's purchased us with his blood. He's the head of the body, the Bible says. Now, God has given us criteria. We cannot violate them. But I do want to say this, that in order to do things God's way, it doesn't mean that every church has to do a cookie-cutter formula. And what I mean by that is we don't have to be um, a Lancaster Baptist Church where I went to school. We don't have to do everything like them. They don't have to do everything like us. We don't have to be um, like Harvest Baptist Church and do everything like them. We can't compromise doctrine. We can't compromise the Word of God. But there are certain things like order of service and, and other things that we can do a little bit differently and still be in God's Word, still be a church that God blesses. I, I'm very confident in this, that the Apostle Paul and Apollos and Peter had very different styles and preferences in their ministry and in their walk with the Lord. And I'm also confident that one of the reasons that the church began to divide into fractions is because people began to align themselves with the people who had preferences like them and who had, had, had um, ministry philosophies like them. And, 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 and so they would go to this guy because they, they just were more like them. But Paul says, we're all on the same team. We're all working together. And I want to say this as a church, we need to be very careful. I know we're in a size this big, everybody has different uh, personal preferences on how order of service you want to be done and what style of music you want to be played and if we should have hymns or not have hymns or have pews or not have pews and, and all of that's good and fine. But we need to be very careful as a church that we don't take our personal preferences and make them God's loss. And we need to make sure that we don't take our personal preferences and start dividing into factions and start making enemies out of good brothers and sisters in Christ when God doesn't say, thou shalt do it this way. We need to be able to say, you know what, we can, we can um, agree to disagree, so to speak, and we can move together as long as we're not violating God's law. Let's move together as one body unified to pursuing the gospel of Jesus Christ, the spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sometimes, if we're not careful, we elevate our opinions to gospel truth, and we need to be very careful of that because nothing hurts a church more than that. Nothing hurts a church more than me standing up in preaching to you, not thus saith the Lord, but thus saith Jacob Haney, as if it was thus saith the Lord. And there's a lot of, there's been a lot of churches over the years that have done that, that have turned people away from the cause of Christ because it's not what God says, it's just what they want. 
And then they paint other people who are in a different light. Uh, Paul would say there, there are some talking about people who eat meat and not eat meat. There's weaker brethren and there's stronger brethren and all of that. And there's fighting in between that. And there's been churches all throughout the years who have caused conflict and hurt the cause of Christ because we can't just learn to go by God's word and leave our personal preferences, our personal preferences for our family. God has bought us, so we belong to him. But I want you to notice, secondly tonight, that he has changed us. We are his husbandry. We are his farm. And he has cultivated his farm, our hearts. He has changed us fundamentally. Look at what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 17. Paul, again, is writing to the same church, the church at Corinth. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5... In verse 17, the Bible says this, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new what? Creature. A new creature. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now you say, what does that mean? Does that mean that I'm no longer a human being? I've turned into some other creature? And and is that what God's talking about? No. What Paul's talking about is the day that you and I put our faith and trust in the Lord, God fundamentally changed us. He gave us a new nature, a spiritual nature. He sent his spirit to indwell us. And for the first time, we were made alive. We who were once dead in trespasses and sins, we who once walked according to the course of this world and who had our conversation in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and who were by nature the children of wrath, were quickened together by Christ, the Bible says. By grace are ye saved and given a new heart. We've been given a new heart, a clean heart a new nature, and we have been made, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we have been made to sit in heavenly places with the Lord. God has changed us. We don't have time, unfortunately, tonight to go into all the areas in which God does change us as Christians, as believers. But needless to say, when you and I got saved, we were changed. The person we once were, we can all testify we are no longer. Many of you could probably stand tonight and we could just stop the service right now. We could just go around and ask what you used to be like before you were a Christian and then what you are now by the grace of God. And and you know pastor's testimony and how he used to be an alcoholic, but by the grace of God when he got saved, God changed his heart and changed his life and took away the taste and he no longer drank alcohol from that day forward. He served the Lord and God miraculously changed his life and saved his family and saved his marriage. And and we could probably go from person to person tonight and hear stories of how God changed us. And he changed us by his grace and he changed us by his power. We didn't change ourselves. We don't have the power to change ourselves. We don't have the willpower. We don't have the self-discipline. If you're a Christian tonight and you are trying to change your life by pure determination, you will struggle your entire life because only the Spirit of God can change a man. But when we were saved, we were set free from the change that once bound us. We were set free as the nation of Israel was set free from 
uh, from the Egyptians, we were set free from the bondage of sin and the power of sin. And while we are not perfect, we do have within us the capability to have victory when we once did not. And I want to ask you tonight, has there been a change in your life? Is there anything different about how you live than how the world lives? Because if the answer to that question is no, let me tell you something. That's not how a Christian ought to live. There ought to be a change. There ought to be a noticeable difference between how you live and how you act and how you speak and where you go and what you watch than what the world lives in. Because as Pastor said this morning, we've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into God's glorious light. We're not the same. We walk in newness of life. There ought to be a change. And I want you to right now just examine your life and ask yourself, just be really honest with yourself. Is there a change? Is there anything different about me than the world? And if not, maybe ask yourself, am I really saved? And if you are, ask yourself this, am I walking in the spirit? And you know what you're going to find to that question? No, you are not. And you need to be. There's a theory going around in churches today, not this church, I hope, but in churches today that in order to reach the world, we need to be more like the world. That's what they keep telling people. I got family members who believe that wholeheartedly. And I love them. I do. But God hasn't called us to be like the world. He's called us to be separate from the world, to be more like him, to be holy. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18 says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And, and obviously that would apply to marriage. A Christian is not to marry an unbeliever. But the Bible says, For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? answer is nothing. For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Amen. Yeah, amen. Think, think about that. God has chosen to live in you, to make his temple in you, his dwelling in you. We don't deserve that. We're not worthy of that, but by God's grace, he indwells us, and he stays within us. And we're no longer are we living in the days of the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit comes and goes upon a believer. The Holy Spirit indwells us permanently. And the Bible says in verse 17 of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Wherefore, because of these things, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. We need a revival tonight of men and women who will come out from the world and be separate, who will be different, and be separate not to ourselves, but to the Lord. Again, I, I said this before, we still struggle with the flesh, right? None of us are perfect. None of us have reached the goal of being Christ-like all the time. We still have that fleshly nature. We, we all understand. 
Paul's dilemma in Romans 7 when he says the things that I don't or I shouldn't do, those are the things that I do and, and the things that I want to do, the things that are good for me to do, I, I don't know how to do them. And we all understand that conflict where it seems like we, we end up doing the things we ought not to do way more than we end up doing the things we ought to do. And that will be in us our old nature will be in us till the day we die or till the day God calls us home to be with him, whichever comes first. But if we give ourselves to the word of God, if we study it, if we read it, if we apply it to our hearts and, and, and spend time daily communing with him and feeding our spirit little by little, God's word will transform us into the image of his son. And we will get victory over things we thought we could never get victory over. And one day, and I'm looking forward to this day, but one day Christ will return. And we shall receive a glorified body like his body. And on that day, Christ shall see the travail of his soul and he shall be satisfied. God changes us. God God has bought us by his blood. He has changed us through his grace and he protects us by his power. The church is kept what it is as well as made what it is by God's continual protection. Without God's protection, we would be destroyed. But God keeps us by his power. Look at uh, what the Bible says in Isaiah 27, 3. Isaiah 27, 3, God's talking about his vineyard. He's talking about his people, and, and, Isaiah, and he's talking about end times, I believe. But he says in Isaiah 27, 3, I, the Lord, do keep it. I will water it every moment, lest any hurt it. I will keep it night and day. If it were, as I said this before, but if it's not, if it weren't for God's continual protection of the church, the church would be laid to waste. The church would become like the world again. The devil loves nothing more than to tear a church apart. The devil loves nothing more than to silence a church and render it ineffective for the gospel of Christ. And he is putting all his effort and all his force into stomping out the true church of God because the church is the pillar and the ground of truth. And the church is the vehicle through which God has ordained that the gospel be spread to the world. And so he's giving all his effort to destroying the church, but God is protecting its church, that the gates of hell should not prevail against it. But if God should say of a church, I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down, and I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. If God were to say that about a church, what would happen to that church? It would cease to exist. And and God has said that about many churches. God says to the church at Revelations, to many of the churches in Revelations, you better get this right lest I come and take thy candle. Take thy light. The Bible says, Go ye now to, unto my place which is in Shiloh, 
where I set my name at the first and see what I did to it for the wickedness of my people Israel. God, God said, hey, I want you to look at what I did to the people of Israel who I loved, who are my chosen people. I want you to see what I did to Jerusalem. I want you to see what I did to my chosen people because of their wickedness sake. And he says, if I can do that to them, I can certainly do it to you. We need to make sure that we don't let sin creep into the church. Go to Rome, where Paul once preached. Go to Athens. Go, go to the Mediterranean area, where Taylor and them just got back from. You know what you find? That some of the places that used to shine the brightest for the Lord are the darkest today. Paul was in Asia Minor a lot. And there were great churches started there. But you go there today, and there's not much happening for the Lord. Did, did God not want them to keep shining? He did, but along the way they slipped. Along the way they backslided. Along the way they began to form idols and to become more like the world. And God took their candle, took their light, and left a place that was once bright, dark once more. And he can do that here. We are what we are today by the power of God. He protects us. He sustains us. We don't have to worry about what the world's doing. We don't have to worry about the laws that they pass or, or who's elected president in 2024. None of that in the grand scheme of things matters because that's all in the hands of God. He appoints kings. He tears down kings. He gives the nations to whomsoever he will. That's all in his plan. That's all up to him. And he gives me the right to vote, and so I'm going to vote. But whatever happens doesn't affect me and what I'm going to do because God protects us from anything that's happening out there as long as we are walking according to his will and his word. He will sustain us and he will provide. But then I want you to notice, lastly, not only has he purchased us by his blood, not only has he changed us by his grace and, keep, and protects us by his power, but God expects a harvest from us. He expects a harvest. The the world is a wasteland. God expects nothing from the world. But we are God's husbandry. We're God's farm. We're God's tilled ground that he has cultivated by his grace. And he expects a return on that grace. He expects a fruit from us, a harvest from us. I think sometimes we forget that. I think sometimes we act as though God expects nothing from us. There are churches today who never look for a harvest. There are churches today who never even try to reap a harvest. They don't go out to the world. They, they don't go soul winning. They don't witness to their neighbors. They come to church Sunday after Sunday. They hear messages if they're not falling asleep, and they sing songs, and, and they give a little money, and, 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 and they go to afterglows and have fellowships, and, and, and they kind of have their holy huddle, so to speak, but they never go out to the world, and they never reap a harvest, and they think God's pleased with that. But God is not pleased with that. God is not pleased with a church that sits still and lets the world go to hell. 
God is not pleased with Christians who only come on Sunday and then the rest of the week do only what they want to do. He has has purchased us by his blood. He has changed us by his grace. He keeps us by his power. He expects us to bring forth fruit to his praise and his glory. And we need to labor for it. We need to work for it. I'm not a farmer, and I would not be cut out as a farmer. I would be terrible at it. But a farmer doesn't farm just for the fun of it. Now, they may enjoy it, but they they don't do what they do just for entertainment's sake. You you go to Iowa, where my dad was this past week. You're going to see crops of corn everywhere. And it's beautiful, but it gets old really quick. But it's beautiful, and especially at night when the fireflies are going through it, that's kind of cool. But I promise you, whoever planted that corn and labored for that corn did not just plant the corn for show. They didn't just plant it so that I could drive by and say, man, that's some beautiful corn. They planted it expecting to receive a harvest that they could then use or sell however they saw fit. And God has saved us not to just, not just for show. He hasn't saved us just for mere entertainment's sake. He has saved us to serve him. He has saved us to be a witness. If you are in this room and you are saved, there is at least one person on this planet that God wants you to personally reach for Christ before you die. So how do you know that? Because if there was no one left in the world that God wanted you to affect or witness to or or be a blessing to or help grow in their walk, if there was no one left, God would take you home because he doesn't need you here anymore. But if you're here today and there's breath in your lungs and you're a Christian, there's someone that God wants you to be a witness to. There's someone that God wants you to be a blessing to. There's someone that God wants you to help grow in their walk with the Lord. Jesus said in John 4, verse 35, Say not ye that there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes. And look on the fields, for they are white already in the harvest. They're already ready to harvest. There's people in Fort Mill who are already ready to be saved, but they need someone to go to them and to be a witness to them and to help them see, like the Ethiopian eunuch, what God is trying to say to them. And God has given us the command already to go. He says in in Matthew 28, verse 19, Go ye therefore. And teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. There's some Christians who believe that that passage does not apply to them. There's some Christians who believe that passage only applies to ministers. Really? Have you read the book of Acts? Because the early church certainly did not believe that that passage only applied to the apostles. They went everywhere daily from house to house preaching the word and edifying one another. And and when they were scattered abroad during the persecution when Stephen died, it wasn't the apostles who went everywhere preaching the word because they stayed in Jerusalem. It was the church family, the non-ministers who went to every region roundabout preaching the gospel and seeing souls saved for the glory of God. God wants all of us to be a witness wherever he has called us. We are his crop. 
We are his husbandry, and we must produce a fruit to his glory. I come back to the place which I started. God has purchased us by his blood. He has changed us by his grace. He protects us and sustains us by his power, and he expects a harvest from us. But those first three things, he purchased us by his blood, he changes us by his grace, and he protects us by his power. Those three things should help us realize how foolish then it is to elevate a man above God. You see the injustice of a laborer taking ownership over something that they did not pay for? I mean, what, what would you think? If Mr. Pete used to farm, I guess he used to have cattle. What would Mr. Pete think if he raised all that cattle and then, and then he had a big enough farm that he allowed me and Ryland, me and Ryland to go out and to work that farm and, and, and to do it. And what would Mr. Pete think if I came to Mr. Pete and I came to Mr. Pete's farm and I told Mr. Pete, you know what, Mr. Pete? You haven't been out in this field ever. You tell me to go out in the field. And I've labored in this field all year long. So you know what? I'm going to call this Jacob's field. This is Jacob's farm. And what if Ryland were to say, you know what, Jacob? You may have labored in it. You may have planted in it. But I picked all the crops. And so this is Ryland's farm. And, the, and everybody else who was working under us started dividing into fractions and becoming Jacob followers and Ryland followers. And then we divided up Mr. Pete's land amongst ourselves. What would Mr. Pete do? He'd probably throw us all out. Because that's his farm. He paid for it. He owns it. He holds the deeds to it. And yet, for some reason, amongst Christians, we find no problem in dividing God's church amongst ourselves as if it was our own. Pastor was talking, I think it was pastor this morning, but there are churches today who call themselves certain denominations based off of men who were nothing more than laborers of God. The Lutheran church... It's not, it's not Luther's church. It's not Calvin's church. It's not Wesley's church. It's God's church. It, we follow him. We don't elevate man. The entire thing is him. Paul says, who, who is Paul? Who, who is Apollos? Who, who, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Paul says, I want you to know church at Corinth, and I want, to, want you to know church at Fort Mill. We belong to him. Body, soul, and spirit. Our lives belong to him, not to us. Not to our boss at work. It belongs to him. So we must endeavor daily to serve him and to glorify him and to obey him, and to honor him, and to thank him for all that he done done for us. Let's not get into this state, and I don't know if we're here. I don't think we're here. I've never heard this, but we have a lot of people in this church who can preach, a lot of people in this church who can teach, but it's not about us. Don't, Don't say, don't come only when I'm preaching or only when I'm not preaching. Don't come only when pastor's preaching or when, and, and not come when pastor's not preaching. You, you come to hear from the Lord. And by God's grace, we're going to strive as a church 
to walk with the Lord and to walk humbly with him and to study his word and be able to stand behind this pulpit and not say what we feel, but say, thus saith the Lord. And then we follow him as a church. And if we do that, I promise you, God will bless us. He'll let our candle shine bright and he will use us, if not to change the world, to at least change our community right here. Uh, ask Pastor to come. Ms. Gwen will come.